Welcome back to following Noah Donna Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 165, and we are talking about the Well of Ascension, ending part two. Paul, how are you? Fantastic. I'm excited to dive into this. This is, I feel like things really ramped up this week, and I'm excited to do the things. Yes, I'm really excited to talk about it once again. Elliot? Also excited. Very ready to talk about part two of part two of book two, Mistborn. Me too. Let's roll intro and then we'll have Elliot try to summarize some very interesting events for part two. All right, Elliot, what do we got? We have Kolos. Lots and lots of Kolos. Sezed is trying to get back to Luthadel, back to see what's going on with the rest of our crew, and runs into a huge army of blue things, which are kind of gross, which we'll talk about. And let's see, other things. Things are going well-ish back at uh, at Luthadel. Ellen is still getting king lessons and learning how to stamp his authority on things. Breeze has an interesting development in his storyline when Set, one of the uh, armies, one of the leaders of the armies that are on the doorstep, his daughter shows up and is apparently in love with Breeze and has led her father to be with her lover. Yeah, wasn't uh, that was not on my list of predictions for sure. What else do we got here? Yeah, more more Coloss. Zane shows up again as usual. He and Vin are still doing their duel and and chat thing. Vin is still digging into mist creature, starting to hear a thumping noise, which she can't explain. Vin mm, yes. goes dress shopping with Tindwell. And then we get our big showdown with uh, Straff Venture. Vin and Ellen head out to do their negotiation with Ellen's father, and it goes kind of well and then very not well, but then results in something that's uh, pretty fine, I guess, by the end. Yeah, sounds sounds good. Do we want to talk about Kolos to, to start and how bizarre Kolos are. We we should start with Kolos because I have a couple humorous thoughts about, about Kolos. First, I, I'm excited to finally meet them in the story because th- this is something that was ever so slightly spoiled for me by going to Dragonsteel a year ago. Yeah, We, we show up at Dragonsteel and it's the release of uh, which Mistborn Era 2 book? Or the the lost metal, the fourth book, fourth one, yeah, yeah, fourth fourth book of Mistborn Era two. So, Mistborn stuff is is flying every which way, and one of the things that we met was a person attending the convention who was colored head to toe in blue dye and is wearing a loincloth and is running around this convention, hooping and hollering and and doing crazy things. 
And I'm just like, what the heck is that? And I hear someone refer to him as a coloss. I'm like, oh, okay. I've heard that. You know, we hadn't even, we hadn't even read Mistborn at that point. So I'm like, what the, what the heck is a coloss? And why is this dude in blue body paint and a loincloth running around? So I kind of, that was one of the things that uh, stuck in my brain just <laughs> a little bit. And was like, hmm, okay, well, uh, when I read Mistborn, I will learn what a, what a coloss is. And uh, here we go. We finally, a third of the way into Well of Ascension, come face to face with some uh, some coloss. And uh, yeah, the, I think my takeaway was they're kind of gross. Was his cosplay accurate? I mean, as far as a human being probably could take it, <laughs> very accurate in a lot of senses. Maybe maybe not so accurate in some of the more disgusting descriptions of like the skin, you know, dripping and tearing off of these things and them just like oozing through random parts of their body that their skin can't hold anymore. Like, yeah, the the mental image that I actually immediately went to that I'm hoping that at least the two of you will appreciate. Maybe some of our listeners will as well. I, I have spent a fair number of hours over the last six months or so playing uh, Legend of Zelda tears of the tear of the kingdom and so when i heard these things described especially like varying sizes where they're they're small ones they're large ones they're rather bulbous they're blue they're kind of ugly i immediately thought of this picture right here which trevor hopefully you can bring up on the screen for our uh, our watchers here on on youtube the the image of course is the the blue bokoblins that are in legend of zelda like does it does it not fit? Do you guys agree? Aside from the the skin thing and maybe a more humanoid face, you're right. Yeah, I think that was hilarious. I love this image, and I I definitely like that this was that this was what you're picturing. I think there's um, Coloss on the I, front cover of my Mistborn book. Nope, I lied. Mine. There's an Inquisitor. So I yeah, I think my my brain is going to constantly think of. One, Bacoblins, and two, that dude in a loincloth, who, who I would love that if you were listening to this right now and could like hop on the, the comments or something like that. The, the dude running around, Dragon Steel, in blue body paint and a loincloth. Those are now the two things I, I see in my head every time I read Coloss in the text. I feel like Coloss are straight out of the four brainstorming ideas that Brandon has about magic systems, where... What what if we had a blue orc that just had a finite amount of skin that it was born with, and then it blows up like a balloon over 10 years, and then it pops? Great. Put it in your book, Brandon. I, I feel like that is right out of his, like, D&D campaign in college like type of, type of idea. I... Absolutely. It's something that, like... It sounds like a 2 a.m. thought yes. that you have in college or something with friends or something like that. Just like absolutely random. And you're like, what if? Hear me out. They keep growing, but they're born with their full size skin, but not even full size because they're going to outgrow that in a really grotesque way. You know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, put that, put that down. Write that yeah. one down. <laughs> yeah, that, that one's a good idea. All the rest of them were yeah. bad, but that one was fantastic. Good. And fantastic. the final thought that someone someone throws in at the very end, they're like, "Oh yeah, and and, and make it blue, yeah, all blue." Yeah, 
Absolutely. Exposed. Mr. Sanderson, we know how Coloss came yeah, about. We got him. And so most importantly, I feel like for our our characters, these things are incredibly violent. Yes. And apparently we haven't seen this so much yet devastating on the battlefield. And so the fact that Sazed stumbles across an entire army, thousands, right? I think it's thousands. Twenty thousand. Exactly how many. Yeah, I was oh, gonna say goodness. ten or twenty thousand. Yeah, this is this is scary. That's twice as many Urukai as attack Helms Deep. Sorry, I just watched two towers yeah, yesterday. That's wild. And the the most important part I think for our story, well, Maybe no, it's not as important as twenty thousand koalas. Uh, mildly less important for our story is the general guy who's at the head of this army somehow. Um, is Jastes, and if you don't remember who Jastes is, he's like Ellen's best friend back in high school. the The guy that he used to talk politics with back in the Final Empire, and he fled the city. Uh, the night that the house war broke out and is apparently has come back a year later with 20,000 Colos. Do, do we get a, how that happened? Sazen is trying to get to that answer. He's like, how in the world are you controlling this army of crazy, violent creatures? And I didn't pick up on an answer. It seemed like there was an answer. It was hinted at the fact he's like, oh, don't worry, I got that. I got that. But we didn't, I, I didn't pick up on the how. What, what is he what is he doing that he's maintaining control over this mob? I think we can definitely infer that whatever it is, it's not easy for him. He, he's very flustered by the whole thing. But I it questioning. He's like, how dare you even oh, ask? Yeah. I have control of this. You walked in here, didn't you? And you didn't get ripped apart. That's evidence that I have things under control. And I think it's very, you know, very on the edge of a knife. It sounds like it's probably not super under control, you know? Just a thought. Is there any way that they're motivated by the same thing everybody else is motivated about to get to Luthadel, the ATM? Because we know Chondra value ATM for whatever reason. And both Set and Straff are here for the ATM more than you, more than the city. They like the city is a big symbolic thing, but it's actually not like super important anymore because of the the Lord Ruler's death. They're they're really here for the ATM. That's the the cash cow of the new empire here. So are the do you think the Colossus are here for the ATM? I don't know. I have very little to go off of, but I feel like no. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't so either. In my head for a second, I'm like, you know, maybe that is how he's controlling him. Maybe he's promised them all this ATM that they could ever want. But I just a quick glance at their kind of intelligence level. I feel like they wouldn't be controlled or shift things based off of a future promise. I feel like they're like, you know, something now. Like, like you don't have it. 
I don't care. I'm not gonna do anything. You know, like it doesn't. That doesn't seem reliable to me. Yeah. And how would he keep himself alive when he doesn't have the ATM to provide that? Yeah, it falls apart pretty quick. I think. Given where so many of our discussions go in the Cosmere in general, but specifically on Scadrial, I'd be tempted to guess there's a religious aspect to it. That, oh, okay. you know, given given the discussions we've had and the, the themes we've gotten into in Mistborn so far, these creatures who are so violent and warlike and short-lived, I, I would not be surprised if, if the twist was, oh, but wait, they still have a religion. They still have something they have a faith in. And maybe Jastes is controlling that somehow. He's either managed to establish himself as a religious figure for them or has promised them some kind of who knows what immortality, whatever, associated with, hey, we need to go to Luthadel. Yeah. I had, I had vague memories of Coloss before... I... Because I think book two, specifically, like, really establishes Coloss, and I don't remember book two very much at all. Um, so I didn't really remember these scenes of introducing Coloss, but I uh, can't say that I enjoyed remembering them. <laughs> Should we head to Luthadel and figure out what's happening there? There's definitely quite a bit happening there, so we probably should. Okay. So Vin is... With the Council of Hercondra is screening the people of, or is screening everybody who might be suspicious of being the other Chondra with her allomancy. So she's that Hercondra has told her that Chondra can't use allomancy even if they eat an allomancer. So then she's like, oh, okay. So most of the guys in the inner crew are mystics. They, they've got one power. So I'll just make them burn their power in front of me and then I'll know that they're not the Chondra. So that's what she starts doing. And uh, how many how many has she cleared by the end of part two here? Who's still on the list? I was trying to go back through my notes and, and come up with exactly that because I feel like that's important at this point. I'm not 100% sure I got everybody though. I, re I recall... Breeze, Ham, and Spook, specifically. Spook is clear. As she, yes, Spook is clear. I I remember that. He he burns tin, at one point where it'll, it's like while they go dress shopping. I think at some point. Okay. Because he goes along with that and it gets yeah awkward in places. There's also a mention at one point that they saw Tindwill do ferrochemy right which they're using as rationale for tindwell not being the chondra which i was actually fairly suspicious of tindwell when she first showed up it was like oh we know someone's a spy oh brand new characters walked into the scene hang on a second but according to them they're like yeah we saw her do ferrochemy therefore she can't be so i think according to our characters tindwell's on the list of cleared suspects as well. Yeah. Yeah, and and I do remember Breeze and Ham. Um she has uh Orser jump ham in an alley and ham burns pewter by reflex. 
and then it's like, sorry, just had to, you know, clear you, clear your name. Didn't mean it. Thought that was funny. Clubs. I was trying to go back through my notes and see if she got a positive confirmation on clubs, and I didn't write it down. I don't think we do. Clubs is our smoker, right? Yeah. Yes. I don't even know if well, I don't I don't think we have confirmation in this part about clubs. But wasn't clubs one of the early ones that they screened because he was with them on the wall at the time of the feast? For lack of a better term. Somebody was. Was it clubs? I think it's clubs. It might have been. I think clubs is like the general dude who's on the wall with them. Um but but maybe that's not hundred percent confirmed. What else? What else do we have going on? There's an interesting scene where Vin and her Chandra or Sewer are definitely chatting it up. Vin, after initially being rather repulsed by or Sewer, it's implied like she's been repulsed by him for a year and has had as little to do with him as possible. They have a couple scenes where she's she's kind of going back on that. She's actually trying to get to know him a little bit, ask him questions. Partly, I think, to pry for information, but also partly just to genuinely, you know, learn about him. And he's not so... He's not very open about a lot of stuff. He's very secretive. He's like, yeah, I'm serving you because I have a contract with you. This is not a friendship. Stop talking to me. But but then they have a almost like touching scene where they they bond over abuse by masters. They get in this conversation where they're like, oh, yeah, I think Vin kind of finally gets him to open up because she can relate to someone in power over you abusing their position. Especially when it comes to a Chandra and a Mistborn. They they specifically relate to a master who knows... Who justifies their abuse because they know their subject is more powerful than the common person and can take it. Right. The Chandra the specifically has a, a rather disturbing kind of implication by this, where he you know, says, you know, Imagine what a terrible master could do when they know that no matter what horrible things they do to you, you can't die. Like the, 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 the unbroken, you know history there is kind of gut-wrenching. Yeah. But where we, where we kind of go with some of that conversation and where I don't know, I, I want to get your thoughts, but I also know maybe you can't share your thoughts. So we'll see. But we, we kind of get into the discussion on the whole contract system with the Chandra. I'm, I'm still very much in the boat of I'm not sure that I quite trust Orsier. He he claims that this contract thing is a part of culture. It's a part of who he is. He cannot break it. And he explains why in this scene. He talks about how, I guess, back in the historical days, Alamancers, Mistborn specifically, I think, hunted his kind and destroyed them. And so they, they were able to survive because they came up with this contract system. They said, okay, fine. We're dangerous to you. What if we come up with this unbreakable contract system where we will serve you and never betray you. Will you let us live? Okay, we'll let you live. Apparently that's the system that was worked out and it's been carried on for who knows how long. 
all of that said, I this fact of the whole I hate you, but I'll serve you because I have to makes me just so suspicious that one loophole and this person's gonna gonna turn you in. But what what were some of your guys' thoughts on the the contract system and the way the Condras like view it? That you can say without spoilers. Well, my my memory of Condra is quite limited, so um, I don't know. Uh, I'm not as suspicious as you. I think I don't know if I've given it too much thought. Um, I I think it's interesting. I think the dynamic is cool. Um, what Brandon's come up with here. Uh, but are there ramifications and side effects that I think we that will get exposed to um in this relationship yes um it's been said multiple times over this these chapters and last week's that I I'll do that if you command it of me but I won't if you don't command it and that is not I don't care what uh Archondra says it, that is not a sustainable relationship. Um, it might be a sustainable contract, assuming he keeps his side of the deal, but it, it's not a sustainable relationship, um, which I think is what Vin is trying to peel back in this um, scene here is, well, for, forget about the contract. I want to talk to you real quick and, and get to know you and what are your motivations and your fears and loves and i don't think he answers that question and she she considers pressing him and like commanding him to tell uh her what his motivations are but she doesn't because she doesn't want to be an abusive master so that yeah there's an interesting layer of servant master and been trying not to abuse that that i think is an interesting idea here so the only thing <laughs> I think I do remember more about the Chandra. This is my second read through. Um, and the Chandra was something that kind of stuck with me. I don't have as much that I can say about this other than I feel like it is a really unique relationship that Ven and Orster have. It's it's honestly like uncomfortable to listen to. It's like she asks him something and he says, "You have to command me." And then she's like, she either does, and it's awkward. Like it's like something that he's not supposed to do but can do, or she commands him something that he's literally not allowed to do, and he he calls on that. He's like, "I according to section C twelve or whatever of the contract, I I don't have to disclose this or something like that." Uh, it's like a lawyer, you know? And so it's an interesting dynamic that they have. Um, I do like how, as this kind of goes on, that they kind of point that out and kind of realize that, and it gives me hope that there will be a better relationship between the two of them going forward. Um, he, there's this whole dilemma of Orser has these, is in the form of a of a hound and how that's really, it feels, he feels very disrespected by that. 
but he's kind of honest with himself and is like, it actually has some big advantages and I can kind of go unnoticed and, and things like that. And so, um, I feel like there's hope of, of a better relationship in the future. As far as more information, I think we just kind of have to read and find out. I do think it's taken a, a, a more positive direction than I thought it was going to, their, their relationship. When the book started, Vin was definitely negative towards Orsur and, and sometimes even like aggressive because she still couldn't get over the whole you you ate Kelsier's body after he died and that kind of disturbed her. And I was worried that was going to spiral down into a, you know, she abuses him because of that, like kind of like they talked about. If he's just, she's just going to be nasty to him all the time. That that's not the direction we're going. We're going the other way. Uh, Vin has gotten past that and is intentionally trying to reach out to him in some ways. Like Trevor, you just talked about. It. I think it was you just mentioned it. Or maybe it was you, Paul. She she doesn't force him to always reveal answers sometimes she she pushes him but other times she says no i'm I'm not going to abuse my powers i'm gonna i'm gonna let you keep that secret so i'm i'm encouraged does elliot refresh me this quote that you have in the outline does she say this to or sir or is this later i think this is part of that conversation let me double check it real quick yeah, there was a, a conversation that Vin was having where, yeah, it is that conversation. And something she says along the way as they're talking about their role in all of this, who they are, contract, all of that. They're, they're kind of getting to some of the tougher questions. Vin, Vin responds at one point with, I'm not a good person or a bad person. I'm only here to kill things. And when I read that, it, it felt like a gut punch because I'm, I'm still looking for the, the Vin story arc of her being able to see the, the worth that she has as a person. Cause she, she still is not there. Right. She's miles further than, than she was when we first met her, but she's still, as you can see in this quote, views herself as a tool as someone here to kill things like that's who you think you are that's oh i so much so much sympathy goes out to her in that moment where it's like that that's that's really what you think you are the the reason why i asked is because this quote's actually really interesting with the context of how the part 2 ends and we'll get to it later, but Ellen and Straff are going back and forth um, at the end of the part, and it gets really heated, and Ellen ends up threatening Straff with Vin. And Vin, is, Vin and Zane are kind of sitting outside the tent, and Zane is telling her the lie that he's only using you for your abilities, and then El at the same time, Ellen is in the tent using her abilities as a bargaining chip against Straff, and it works. And that's a really big problem for Vin in that end scene. So comparing that end scene, which we'll talk about more later, 
with this quote that that's why I asked you if it was in that conversation or if it was later, because if it's really well with what we're going to find in a couple chapters here. Yeah. Maybe something to talk about real quick before we get into Zane and staff venture and other parts. There's other couple of things we got to talk about actually, but one that kind of ties into this is Ellen. Ellen is getting, as I keep referring to them as King lessons. Tind mm -hmm. Tindwill has really taken him, you know, through the, the ringer on, here's all the things you got to learn. Here's, you know, stand up straighter, better posture, speak more, cut your hair confidently, get a makeover. Yeah. You know, it goes full on, cut your hair. Here's a new suit, all these things. But I re related to the whole Vin and her self worth side of things. I, I couldn't help but thinking through these scenes, which we're kind of skimming over, which is a little bit of a shame because I think there is some really good content actually in these these scenes where Ellen is kind of learning to dig deeper into himself and see what he's capable of. But I feel like so far in this book, that the story I was looking for was Vin discovering her self-worth. But the, the story I think we're getting so far is Ellen discovering his self-worth. Yeah. Vin doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot of developing, maybe a little bit. Ellen is doing a lot of developing. He's making huge steps in character arc. And I was not expecting that at all. We, get, we still got a long way to go, but yes, I agree with you. Um, that <laughs> it does seem that Vin is... Vin's doing a lot of questioning in the first one and two parts, but not finding a lot of answers. Um, and maybe the answer that she does find at the end of part two is not good. Um, but yeah, you're right. Ellen is certainly on the high road track of I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I can, I can do this. If I've got the right people around me and I do things correctly, I can do this. And it might come crashing down the last line of part two, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Do you guys want to talk about uh new character? We got a new character last episode. We're getting a new character this episode. Um, you, you didn't have young 20s girl throwing her arms around Breeze on your bingo card, Elliot? <laughs> nope. Especially one that's like the daughter of this like... At, what's his name? Ashweather? Ashweather set. Set, set you know, Ashweather, yes. Yeah, exactly. Like like this like epic general kind of name, you know, and his daughter's like, oh breezy, you know, yes. like it's it's I think it's hilarious. And I thought it was great how when Breeze originally made it back to this epic scene where Vin shoots out and with her superpowers and saves the day and Breeze is able to escape and make it back. Like the First thing that Ham says to him when he comes back is, "Oh, they were hot on your tail because you were messing with the king's daughter, eh? Eh? Like just kind of you know, completely joking with them, making something up, and then ten chapters later, fifteen chapters later, we find out that's exactly what he was that's doing. Exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, and." They they mention it in this scene where Ham I think it's Hammond and Ellen talking. Ellen gives him the side eye of like you're 
Exactly right. And Hammond says, bro, I was joking because it's Breeze. I've never seen Breeze with anyone. And so I'm joking with him that he's uh, swooning the king's daughter. But apparently that's exactly what happened. You gotta say, I cannot think of a, of a scenario where this ends well for our heroes. This, it, there's a lot of this can go badly. They, Seth's daughter is now in, has escaped from him, seemingly against his wishes, come to Luthadel to be with Breezy. And one of a few things is going to happen here, all of them bad. Either Set is going to want her back, might just attack the city to get her back. Mm -hmm. Or she's a spy and she did not escape him against his wishes, but has very cleverly been sent by him to spy on our heroes. This is another crazy option. She could be our Chandra. Okay. I know yeah. that's a little wild, but we know there's a spy right. in the court of the heroes. I'm a little suspicious. I, I don't think she'd be my first candidate. But again, we know there's a spy, and oh, look, grand character shows up on the scene. Hmm? I don't know. Like, I can't think of a scenario where this benefits our heroes. Oh, come on. How far is fetched is it that Breeze and Alrianne live happily ever after and everything's wholesome and cute? And come on. Come on. See, you're going down the path of, of course she's suspicious. You got to go to the next step up is she's too suspicious to be suspicious in a Brandon <laughs> Sanderson book. So she's she's wholesome and everything's going to work out great. That's where that's the step I'm on. And also, wait, people were suspicious, like they knew that there was some kind of imposter before she ever showed up on the scene, right? Could be your alibi though. So, I did think of that. Yeah, see. Yeah. I wasn't even in the city when you found the skeleton. How could it be me? No. That one's pretty easy to dispel. So true. So true. We ready for the uh Straff Venture scene, which lasts like three and a half chapters or four chapters? It's a long It was big. Yeah. As an intro to it, I'm curious to just know whether Elliot, what are your thoughts on Strap Venture in general? Can I start this one? Yeah, feel free. Just as a side note, I really, you know, Strap Venture is gross and disgusting and a horrible person. I have a real issue reading this type of thing on a page in my young adult fantasy book. I, I don't like this level of gross. Like you, you can, you can give me a bad guy without giving me the details that are given to me about Straff Venture. I don't need to know. I don't need to know. Just tell me he's bad. Tell me a, one or two <laughs> examples so that I can be like, yeah, that guy's bad. Don't tell me like seven or eight examples of how this guy's bad and the, grotesque details but anyway that's my thoughts he he probably takes the cake for like one of the most dislikable 
villains we've ever seen, you know? Yes. I get the I get the creepy crawly, you know, skin feeling where you just read it and you you shiver and can't not like scrunch up your face like ugh, kind of moments where you read some of this. It it reminded me actually of the 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 main villain in the the main the first uh, Dune book. I don't know if you guys have read Dune at all, but the I think it's Baron Harkonnen mm-hmm. is the villain yeah. there. There's there, there's there's similar ish descriptions which are not in the recent movie that came out, but are a, a little bit graphically de- described in the book, where you're just like, oh, okay, creepy, gross. I did not need to did not need to hear that about this villain, and it. I, I can't I can't decide quite how I feel about it in a in a book like this. It it seems intended to make it again crystal clear, black and white. There is no rooting for this guy. Right. And m- maybe that's the whole intent. Maybe it's just meant to bring it to a the, this person is evil. Like right. true root meaning of that word. Not they do evil things sometimes that their their driving motivation in life is evil like those kinds of things where it's just meant to be extremely clear this is a bad guy there is no straff venture did nothing wrong camp i'm gonna laugh when there actually is a straff venture did nothing wrong camp i really hope there's i not. don't think there yeah. is <laughs> no, 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 uh, yeah, spoiler is. maybe that's a spoiler but yeah, i don't think so <laughs> anyway yeah Villain, for sure, for some pretty clear reasons. But but interesting and fascinating sequence of events here. A little drawn out, maybe, yes, drawn out a, a, across a bunch of chapters. But a lot of posturing, manipulation, politicking. Bluffing. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do think you're correct. that, it, And I don't remember if this happens or not. If this is a unintentional spoiler, I apologize. But when the Coloss show up and eat Straff Venture, I'm I'm supposed to cheer, and I and I get that. But and and I think that's the purpose of this scene is to what you're saying, Elliot. Draw out in graphic detail how bad this guy is, so that you know if and when he gets eaten by Coloss or gets thrown in a volcano or whatever happens to him, I'm supposed to cheer. I get that. I just don't want to know all the details. <laughs> I also, there, there is an element to it of, I'm not sure Straff Venture fault. This might be a little bit of a disservice to Brandon. It, it, that, that's a very simplistic way to write a villain. If, if you go directly to, he does terrible things to innocent girls, that's like a very, it, that's not a very complex villain. Right, it's a very simple villain of plain evil. Okay, needs to be killed. Got it. There's other villains that Brandon writes that are super complex. Yeah, and like part yep. of their their gray area is part of that. They they have evil motivations, but they also have backstories that you're interested in. They also have motive. They have other motivations or relationships that you're like, oh, I want to dig into that. Like Straff Venture, you do not want to know anything more about this guy. You're just like, okay, somebody off him, please. That some of the best villains that Brandon writes, I think, are 
there's this one truth that they're holding on to so tightly and that's all they see where you can understand like on face value you can see the motive of this that no matter how twisted it is you you can understand to a to a certain extent how you how you would start there but then they take it so far and that's what makes them a villain that's not you know we've we've just said it that's not the case with straff venture he is just evil period done and i i don't mean to necessarily say that straff venture is poorly written because i don't think that's true as this scene goes to play out right straff venture is actually an interesting character in that we see this drawn out scene of manipulation and bluffing and all of this there's there is a lot going on here and there's a lot of writing that's gone into this he's just not a complex character in and of himself necessarily so there's there's a lot going on here there's a lot to dig into it's not poorly written but i think there are much more complex and worth diving into villains elsewhere and maybe that's perfectly intentional on mr sanderson's part yeah one thing that we can say is this is not one of those complex, super complex villains. You know, like we, we, I think we talked about this in the past of a lot of villains being like, oh, is there going to be a redemption arc? You know, like if I can talk about that, I mean, there still could be technically there. I feel like there can technically always be a redemption arc. However, I think it's pretty clear here that there's not like a, a looming quality or desire for redemption with this character. It's just a villain and he is the antagonist and that is kind of the end of the story, you know? Um, Which just since we've talked about that before of there being like a weird dichotomy, I feel like that's uh, something to point out. Well, then we get a foil to Straff right here in the same scene, which is Zane, in my mind. You have the very simple, very straightforward, he's evil, Straff Venture. And then you have the, I would argue, more interesting, complex, intriguing character in Zane, where you're, where you're like, okay, he's in the villain camp, but is he actually a villain? Well, I don't know. He's clearly very torn. He's clearly got a voice in his head telling him to do crazy things. Is he just clinically insane? I don't know. You, you have a lot of questions about Zane. I, I at least have zero questions about Straff. Yeah. Do either one one of you want to like summarize the scene before we get to like the tension point that we were talking about earlier between Zane and Vin and Ellen and Straff like at the same time? I think it's a really well written scene because of the implications that it has for each of the four characters. Like it, all four characters come uh, come away from the scene different with different motivations. Maybe, maybe with the exception of Zane. Uh, but I think all the other three are significantly changed coming out of the scene because Ellen realizes that he's dead un- unless he, can prove to Straff that Straff is going to die, I am going to die. So if I need to dissuade Straff from killing me, and the only way I know how to do that is he's selfish, so he's going to preserve his own life, so I need to threaten him. 
That's how Ellen comes out of this. And for Ellen's part, I think that's actually a really good lesson for him is that there is no negotiating with Straff. Straff is here to take your ATM, take your city, kill you. That he, he has learned that lesson at the end of this scene. Vin learns a really unfortunate lesson and Straff, uh, through the manipulation of Zane, actually is what happens with Vin. And then Straff gets shook. Like, he, he gets intimidated by his son, which he never thought was a possibility. He thought he had all the cards. And Ellen pulls his trump card, which is Vin. And then Vin is sad that she's a trump card. So I, I think that's a really cool scene. Like, it, it's sad for obvious reasons for Vin, but I think it's a well-written end of the part. I think it's really cool. So many different, like you said, angles going on here and people's motivations and people's motivations being different at the beginning of the scene versus the end. I was stuck too on the the irony of Zane's angle that he's taking. He's He's pushing on Vin so hard to say, Stop being, stop being a tool. Stop letting them use you. Be your own person. We are this misborn thing. We need to be our own whatever and stop being the the assassins of, of kings. When this whole time, that's exactly what he's doing. Like to, to a T. He, he is letting himself be used by Straff Venture because he can't bring himself to break free from him. And so the... That the hypocrisy in his voice is just striking to me. He's poking at a weakness of Vin, and yet, in my mind, calling out the exact same weakness, even a bigger one, in himself. Yeah. One thing I, I want to ask y'all as well. So, in this scene... Vin kind of goes rogue for a second and you know before they do the whole like you know if you kill me you're gonna die too before he really like sells Vin's power and kind of flips that on on Straff they're talking about the ATM right and Vin is like oh no we don't actually have it and Alan is just like <laughs> like uh, we were like you know he he, he says in his head like Vin acts by instinct, and her instinct is, seems to always be right. So he trusts it, but he's also like, well, that was kind of my whole plan, was like, yep, we totally have the ATM, you know. And, and so that that was interesting. And I still, I don't know, maybe we do see it and I missed it, but I don't think we see any, like, specific fruitfulness from Vin's comment here. How do y'all feel about her 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 pointing that out, her saying that? We get kind of Ellen's thoughts of, yeah, her intuition's usually right, so I will I will trust her. But it's still like, you know it seemed questionable to me. It seemed like a questionable choice that she made. There's there's a revelation that Ellen has middle of the scene where then he realizes wow, Vin is really good at this. And I'm trying to remember what that revelation is. And it has to do with revealing that they don't have the ATM. Or is it, are you, are you... That, is it that he is... 
Is it that Vin assumes that he's not going to believe them? Is that why she says that? I don't remember. I, I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, maybe I would have to it, look it up again, but... It's a complex I... series of, of bluffs and, and counter bluffs. Yeah. Right? It it, it gets layers on, on layers of, you know, you're you're telling the truth so that they'll think you're lying so that you're, you know, truth actually goes under the, the radar kind of things. Like that was, that was a level they were getting to in some of the discussions. Mm -hmm. The, the moment that stood out for me was one of the first ones where Vin tries to soothe Straff's emotions right from the, the, the get go. And, and Straff, you know, thinks he could pull, pulls one over on them by, you That's know, what it is. It, you know, he's like, oh, tell, tell your Mistborn to stop messing with my emotions. And then Ellen's like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's a 10 eye, so watch out. And later on, Ellen realizes that Vin did that on purpose. That's what, that's what I was thinking let, of. Yeah, so that Straff would feel overconfident. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in control of this situation here. I know exactly what's going on when in reality they're, they're trying to manipulate him by you know pretending they're weak so that he doesn't feel like he has to attack them immediately right now that whole bluff fails and ellen i don't think ever figures this out he's still stuck on the why why didn't this work it doesn't work because straff has inside information straff already knows that's what they're trying to do because his spy and they they tell us this in the chapter his spy has told him that's the strategy. Which I feel like our list of I feel like our list of suspects for the spy should be pretty small by now because we've already crossed off like four people. And yet it's someone who knew that this was the strategy. Right. It's someone in the inner circle. It's gotta be, or who has access to the inner circle because they they were far enough in the plans that they knew that Ellen was going into this with the strategy of pretend you're weak. Well, our, our, I feel like our list of suspects should be small. Didn't he tell the assembly that? That that was his plan is to play them off each other? I think that would be important. I don't remember. I think that's one of his bargaining chips with the assembly is let me meet with Straff and try to bargain with him before surrendering the city. But you might be right. The the details is, are escaping me here. Yeah, I don't remember exactly who they told to that, but clearly that information got to Straff, which is right. why the that tact does not work. And that's the point in the showdown. Thinks he's won. And he even, and we don't know if this is a bluff or not, I think, by the end of this. Straff has... has basically called Ellen's bluff and said, nope, not falling for this. I'm just going to attack you. Let's go. Let's go right now. I'm going to go invade your city. And Ellen's, Ellen's, you know, saying, crap, that didn't work. Draft says that he's made a deal with Set. Yeah. That he says, oh, you're too late. I've already made a deal with the other army. We're going to attack you together. And I figure what they said. He's going to get the city and I get the ATM or something like that? Yeah, one of the two. 
It might be flipped then. It might be actually flipped. I think he might get the city and Set gets the Atium. Or even a 50 50 split. I don't remember exactly. I think, but apparently Set did not want care about having the city. I right. think was what the thing was. Yeah. And so he he makes that. Maybe it's a bluff and says, I've already made a deal. Sorry, I'm just going to kill you and we're going to go attack your city. And that's the point where Ellen switches tactics. And I think, I think we're supposed to put the pieces together that Tindwill's training has paid off. Right. The, the, the Ellen of two months ago would have folded right there. He would have, all his cards would be on the table. He'd be done. But that's not what happens. Instead, he stands up, puts on that regal persona that Tindwill has has been training him in, and said, and pulls the the Vin card, which you were talking about earlier. He he threatens his father, and says, "Nope, sorry, gonna." Play the trump card on you here. You can't go attack my city because my Mistborn is super powerful and even your Mistborn can't stop my Mistborn. So if you try and kill me or if you do kill me, my Mistborn's going to kill you. And that's kind of how he wins the showdown-ish. Right. Is he basically says, I have Vin. Vin's more powerful than anyone else and you don't know why. Don't mess with me. Yeah. So she she flares Duralium to flare his emotions, right? And that's how they prove that card. Yeah. I didn't think she used Duralium in here, but I could be wrong. I think she does. But I think she, I think she does too. Because that's how that's how they scare him. That that's how they actually get Straff scared, is she's able to push one of the two on his emotions so hard that he who is we just got proved a few paragraphs pages earlier that he's sensitive to that kind of thing he he can feel that level of power so that he can know wow i've never felt an alamancer with that kind of power on someone's emotions and he finally he doesn't even believe the rumors that she's the one that killed the lord ruler until that point. And then he's like, okay, that's for real. So they actually yep. use his tin eye power against him um to prove their their point. So and it, okay, that makes it sense. Ends, yeah. And it ends with the chapter with Straff is so scared of Vin that he tells Zane basically kill her at all costs. Whatever our motivation was before, stop playing around, go kill her now. Do do you remember the tools? A terrible word. Do do you remember the assets that Zane has to work with? The the reveal at the end of the chapter. The reveal is that it's all of Straff's other kids are mistings, and he has been having children with so many women to make a hitman squad of mistings and back in last episode it specifically said um zane introduces himself to ellen and says to ellen 
you are Straff's only son or only child. And so apparently Straff has this entire band of children that he's willing to throw at Vin now to get her destroyed, including Zane. So it's an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic there. He, he clearly does not value the lives of his children at all. Yeah. Ellen, Zane, all of the offspring that he's had with who knows how many women basically breeding his own army, little personal arm, misting army. He, he views them as expendable completely, all of them. Yeah. All of this, it, I, I do think it ends in a net positive. Vin is, has her self-identity hurt um, through the manipulations of Zane. Um, tell, and Vin is beginning to believe that she is just a knife for Ellen to use and no more. Um, Straff is shaken. Ellen is on cloud nine at the end of this because he's like, I just beat him. I didn't think I would. That was pretty cool. And then the last line of the part is, your assembly that you gave power to has deposed you. So all of that might just have just gone out the window and the assembly might be about to resign the city for their lives. Eh, you know, small problems. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't remember if that does happen. I don't think that will. That would be really boring. But <laughs> yeah, it ends on. I agree with you. I think we're in a slightly better place than we might have been before, but definitely ends on a bit of a downer. And then it's like, eh, go assassinate Vin. And uh, yeah, Ellen, you're uh, deposed as king. Sorry. Yeah. One. One bit of information that gets dropped in the midst of all of this, which which I think is going to be a, an important one. In the interaction between Vin and Zane, there at Camp Venture, Vin sees something on Zane's arms. Oh yeah, I forgot about this. He has, he has the scars. He has the same scars that Kelsier did. Which Vin knows comes from the pits of of Hath Sin, what? and so that that's the conclusion she came to. But I wasn't convinced. I th was the the impression that it could be Zane self harming himself. That's a good point. And he could just that's be a really good point. And it could just be like he's trying to impersonate the survivor, you know. That's fair. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, however. I. So we know that he's like the survivor of Hath Sin, right? Or Kelsier is, right? Mm hmm. I could see. Excuse me. I could see a world for sure where it's like. Zane is kind of jealous of that level of prestige and that level of skill or whatever, right? And would kind of twistedly try to impersonate that, but. I don't know. The, I would say that this is yes. He these are from Hathson. However, what leads me not to think that is that we don't know about it because, like, as far as we know, only one person has escaped, right? Or maybe he was like set free when Kelsier went and destroyed everything. 
who knows? I also don't know if Straff would have sent him. Like, wouldn't he have had to send him to the pits of Hathsend? I well, feel that... like he kind of liked having him as a hidden bodyguard. Yeah, that's a good you know? point. Isn't Straff in charge of the pits up until like a year ago? Yeah. I, I wouldn't put that past Straff for a single moment. That seems like something he absolutely would do. I mean, we, we, we've seen Zane try to assassinate him with poison. Maybe one of his assassination attempts just got on Straff's nerves one too many times. And he's like, fine, I'm done with you. Pits, go. And so I, I mean, it seems plausible to me. But Trevor, you bring up a great point, which should have been glaringly obvious. We, we saw Zane cutting himself earlier. Right. Do these scars have to be from the pits like Vin immediately assumes? Yeah. Maybe they don't. That's a good point. Either either way. Either way, I'm very worried about what this does to Vin mentally. Yeah. Vin is so still connected to Kelsier. Connected to Kelsier. They 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 deify Kelsier so much. Something as simple as this, that he has the same scars on his arms. I'm I'm quite worried that even something like that is enough for Vin to feel like she relates to him because she wants so badly to have a Kelsier in her life. Right. And she even mentions like, oh, he's tall, like Kelsier, like Yep. Okay. It's it's. I'm worried that these small, should not be, significant things are going to be enough for Vin to maybe even subconsciously, want, to follow Zane. And even the sparring, right? It's it's evoking the old yeah, training with Kelsier stuff that she's been missing for what a year. She's at the beginning of the book she's saying oh i don't have anybody to fight i'm the best mistborn in the city no one wants to fight me and then zane comes along so yeah interesting there's there's another thing we need to go back and talk about unless you have something from no go ahead something we didn't get a chance to stew on a little bit which we need to i think is this Sound. Right. Vin, you cut out there. Can you say that again? Yep. We need to talk about this thumping that Vin is hearing. Mm-hmm. She she burns her bronze, and she can detect the the mist being thing. I think it also when she burns bronze, she hears this what she describes as thumping sound and she thinks it comes from a specific direction she also reads in the hero's logbook journal about a similar sound that the hero apparently hears so it seems like yet another thing tying her to this hero I, I don't really know where to go with it or what to guess about it, but no one else hears it. I think that's specifically mentioned. Mm-hmm. 
So again, I'm back to the why. Why is Vin different? What is enabling her to detect this? Is it simply her increased power? We know that she can like pierce a copper cloud with her bronze. Is that what's going on here? Is this sound, the signal, is shielded to everyone else? But because Vin has this ability, she can detect it? Mm. I'm not sure, but it seems quite important. And then once you figure that out, you could also then maybe apply it to the hero. Why could the hero feel this, sure. this sense and not anyone else? Yeah, interesting. Something I still have penciled in the, the margins of my notes is that it was revealed to us in part one that the earring that Vin always wears, yeah, Vin always has this earring in, is made of bronze. And so I'm, I'm theorizing... I'm guessing that that's going to be important. That that earring that she has, maybe it's maybe it's ferrochemy, maybe it's something else. Which I know that's a whole big theory in itself, right? If I'm theorizing that she's doing that, she's a ferrochemist she's in addition to an alamance, so that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe that's a whole theory in and of itself, but maybe that bronze earring is somehow contributing to what she is able to do that no one else can including others that are that have the same like bronze you know seeker power that she has yeah anything else uh, just uh just a theme for part two if you want to touch on that real quick sure yep yeah just uh keep my my streak going with uh, looking back over the the parts of the books that we read and kind of pulling out a a theme that ties multiple parts multiple elements of that part together the the one i what i got to after a little bit of reflection was i I had to squeeze two words into there three arguably i got to like masters versus servants as a theme for this part we we brought that up a bunch of times whether it was like discussions with Zane where he's talking about, you know, don't let them use you, break off and be your own thing, don't be a slave, don't be a servant. Yeah. Or whether it's Zane and Straff themselves. Or Elend is kind of in this mix as well. It's it's kind of like there's Elend and there's the assembly. And kind of a struggle between them, like who's actually in charge. There's there's Elend and himself. Is is he the master that he should be? Is he a servant? Should he be a servant? Should he be a master? Like he's trying to navigate that. What is my? What is a good king? They have that discussion. What what makes a good king? Is he the master? Is he the servant? There's all the discussions with Vin and and Orsur about the abuse of masters and servant and their strange relationship where Vin is the master and Orsur is the servant. And it, it just felt like that was coming up a lot in this this part two of Well of Ascension. So. I'll have to tag that on here as masters, masters and servants. Yeah, I like it. You could even stretch it to include Ellen versus Straff, and how sure. Ellen's masters Straff at the end of the part to uh, to prove to himself that he can do it. Finally, the apprentice has become the master. Correct. Really now, and then he returns to his high ground. Yeah, see, so here you go. Mm-hmm. 
Anything else, gentlemen? Not here. All right. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We will be doing, we'll be entering part three next week. Let's read on. Bye.